Good morning and welcome to the Mr. Alton Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Mottram. It is the morning after Washington tarnished Philly's undefeated record on Monday Night Football. Here to talk about that, it's the man who's gotten more moxie than Taylor Heineke on a Monday night. It's Matt Turrell. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jamie. No one has more moxie than Taylor Heineke on a Monday night. That might have been the moxiest victory in Taylor Heineke's moxie history of victories. I mean, that guy basically is like a little tiny bottle of moxie with a football helmet. It's like moxie cotton. I don't know how far we can go with the moxie. It was a great game, though. I just got done showing the highlights to my son uh, the morning after. It was like a 13-minute YouTube reel that was just like commander's pornography. How much uh, How much of the game did he make it through? Halftime. And okay. it kept, so he really lucked out because there was a series of things where it'd be like, okay, you can watch this drive, but then you have to take a shower. You know, you can watch this drive, but then you got to go to bed. And each time it would be like a 15-play drive. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, so so he ended up going to bed. It was whatever, nine something. And he he even uh, faked me out because I sent him up to bed with like a minute left in the half and he was listening from the stairs. So and I didn't realize this, but when Joey Sly hit the 58 yard field goal, I heard him go. Yes. Nice. <laughs> well done. Love love the uh, inability to contain uh, the excitement to keep the secret that's 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 sports watching for you right there yeah i i i just can't believe how not good this team is but how fun that was last night how positive this season has been for the last month or so given how it started yeah i mean i i think that uh the i i think that the dan snyder news colors uh everything or at least our belief that there's there's good news because i think last night's win I can see a scenario where I would have been much drearier about it uh, just because I'm a kind of dreary person. But I think like there's just this feeling that like maybe maybe there's hope in the future for this fan base to not just be miserable all the time. Um, and this is this now looks like part of that rather than just being, you know, another blip in the in the never ending sea of mediocrity. Um, it was great. And I, I feel like I need to start by saying that Scott Turner was really called a really good game this week. I spent all of last week uh, complaining about him and saying that he couldn't string together three plays in sequence. And he did the, uh, he, he did that this week. That was really good. So great job, were, Scott. Were the three plays, uh, three consecutive runs that equated to exactly 10 yards in a first down. When I was a kid, I used to ask all the time, like we'd hear like some running back, you know, some mediocre running back a Ricky Irvins or somebody like they'd be like oh he averages just over three yards a carry and I'm like well so if you hand it off to him every down you would get a first down every draw you know every four plays and you just score touchdowns and my dad would patiently try to explain to me that like that's not how averages work and also that three yards a carry is bad but they really they put that one to the test last night that was actually the strategy that is how averages worked last night um there were 40 plus carries between Robinson, Gibson, and Samuel in that order. And they each averaged, I think they each averaged like three to 3.2, something like that. Um, maybe it was like, maybe there's like a 3.4 in there, but it almost exactly equated to 10 yards per three carries. That's how it worked. And I don't know that, I think the longest run might've been like 10 yards. Do you, do you recall a run longer than 10 yards last night? not markedly longer maybe it was 12 or something but yeah i mean that, yeah. that sounds about right to me and i'm not in front of the stats so you could tell me anything at this point and i'm forced to believe you 
Yeah, I mean, and it didn't always end up as a touchdown. I think they had five consecutive scoring drives. Only two of them were touchdowns. Um, to have that much time of possession, to have four turnovers, um, you know, <laughs> for the defense to get four turnovers, that is, um, they actually it was actually kind of low scoring. <laughs> like I think they had 26 until the very end when uh, what's his name picked up that that last second fumble for a touchdown. It was two hill, right? Two hill. Yes. The guy who was hitting the gritty. I, 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 in addition to the scoring thing, I had a similar reaction to Taylor Heineke's line. Like if you had asked me right after the game, what happened? I'd be like, wow, you know, Taylor Heineke really moxied uh, all over the place. And he just moxied up and down the field. And he had a heck of a game. And then you look at his stat line. It's like, yeah, that's, um, that sure is. Those sure are numbers. Yeah. You know, on the moxie tip, like he, he made several heads up plays last night. The, the two that are being uh, discussed the most. One is the snap that went way over his head and would have been like a 20 yard loss, but he scooped it and got it, uh, you know, out of bounds, but back to the line of scrimmage. So, you know, it was just a loss of down instead of loss of massive yards. Uh, very great heads up athletic play. Um, I don't think Carson Wentz was capable of that. Uh, and then the other one was at the end, third and seven minute and a half left. Uh, nobody's open. So he just takes a knee super heads up play. Like that was way better than the alternative. And fortunately the Eagles did not return the moxie <laughs> two different Eagles defenders had no idea what was going on. And both of them could have been called for uh, the 15 yard penalty there that that really sealed the game. That last one, when, when I saw it, I, it occurred to me, which this has never occurred to me before, and it sounds insane, but is Taylor Heineke a perfect Bill Belichick quarterback? Like, that was such a Bill Belichick kind of like, you know, nobody remembers the rule about running around in the backfield for six seconds and then taking a knee <laughs> and, you know, maybe even drawing a game-clinching uh, penalty. Like, it was just, it, it was... It was. I loved it. I loved that play. I thought the call was correct. I heard people complaining about the call that it was like soft. But <laughs> how could the, the guy, call not be correct? How could the that guy call was on his knee? Correct? I mean, like yeah. it was. It was bizarre. Um, well, that's no. That's the thing. It was weird. It wasn't that it was incorrect. It was a fucking weird play. It was a weird. Like you play. don't expect a quarterback to take a knee in that situation. I mean, maybe if you really think it through, you might expect it. But in the flow of the play, it was really weird. And therefore unexpected. And, and, you know, that's why they committed a penalty. But it was like a penalty all day long. But I keep coming back to the Belichick thing where it's like, you know, when what was that? The game against the Ravens where he kept lining up in some weird quasi legal formation. I don't, I don't remember what it was, but he was he, it was one of those games where he was just exploiting this random rule and it was called correctly every time. But the opposing coaching staff was losing their minds because who prepares for that kind of thing? And this was that on a much smaller, um, more specific well, scale, even the part of the the Tyler, the Taylor Heineke experience that you don't like the interception to McLaurin, even that one had a little bit of moxie because as far as interceptions go, like that was an effective arm punt interception, Uh third and four play from midfield. He heaves it up. They, the defense probably would have been better off batting it down as it was. They caught it and they were pinned inside the tent. Like that's, <laughs> that's moxie, man. That is moxie. That is also uh, somebody who completed a very similar pass between three defenders last week yes. and was like, screw it. I can do, I can do that again. I can do that every time. So yeah. Yeah. It was like, know, why it, do you, why do you throw that one ball? Well, because it's worked out before. Why do you throw it that way? I don't know. Cause you can't throw the ball more than 30 yards without making it, you know, 
uh, a rainbow. But uh, yeah, it, it it kind of worked out. There was a couple other plays where I saw people being like, like, oh, he's he's missing high. But I thought that there were those were on purpose. Like, you know, his skills are very limited. But last night, I feel like was uh, he was he was overcoming that with Moxie. I thought last night, and this is sort of why I'm surprised about the stat line, watching him, it was the most I've ever felt like he was in control of what he was doing. You know, he always feels uh, like something with no brakes rolling downhill, and you're just kind of hoping it it lands in the right place. Um, But last night, he he was in the flow of the game. Um, I wish his numbers reflected it for his sake. But what I keep coming back to for me is when he screws something up horribly, um, I just remember how tedious it was watching Alex Smith not screw up and just punt on fourth down. And like, I'll take this any day of the week over that. It's like, whatever. You well, know? I mean, it's I think funny. he seemed in control because it was like the perfect game plan for Heineke, you know, run it 40 times. And every time you pass it, it's off of play action. I mean, I think they only threw it maybe 26 times, something like that. And they had the ball all day. So, you know, that that's a pretty good game plan when you've got a quarterback with limitations, um, I'm just delighted. I, I thought if you asked me yesterday, what's the line on this game? I would have said 30, maybe, maybe <laughs> the Eagles to cover. Yeah. Um, and it started that way. It started like, here's a game we're going to lose by who knows, 20, 30, 40. It'll feel like 40. Um, that's how it started off just like the first game. And then it was, it just completely like the response after that first Eagles touchdown was what a 90 yard scoring drive for Washington. Yeah. Uh, then they gave up another touchdown. They responded with another <laughs> scoring drive and another one. Uh, and after the start, you know, which they were put in a bad situation, the, the defense played well pretty much throughout. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing, everybody, everybody looked good for the most part. It was fun to watch. I, I'm really disappointed. Um, what was it? Was it? It was the fourth down attempt where it looked like they were going to run some sort of jet sweep to Curtis Samuel that oh, uh, false. Got, delay of game. got killed on mm-hmm. delay a game. That looked mm-hmm. like it was going to be a fun play. Um, mm-hmm. So I was disappointed we didn't get to see that one. But I mean, Scott Turner, I don't know if you can find the stat quickly, but it seems like when he has an extra day, so either coming <laughs> off a Thursday game or going into a Monday game or coming into the season, he's better. And I, I can't. I, I, it genuinely seems that way. And I can't figure out if it's because he has an extra day to work or if he has an extra day to rest, but whatever it is, they should analyze this and figure out how to trick his like, you know, biorhythms into thinking that he has taken an extra day, you know, to put him on like a, a 19 hour day schedule where he sleeps five hours every 19. And then, uh, you know, I don't know something. It feels like they should be able to make this work because the difference is striking. He was terrible last week. To, to get extra time, you kind of need to play on Sunday night or Monday night football. And uh, that doesn't happen very often for the for the commanders. Well, you need to do that. But but what is that? That's why I come back to the question. Is it that he has an extra day of rest and is therefore clearer headed when he's mm. calling the game? Or is it that he just has more time to work, in which case somebody should buy him some like cheap amphetamines and uh just prevent him from sleeping well, but they need to figure out what it is and make it happen because the the game plan you, you could have told me that the game last night was called by a totally different human being than the game the week prior and well, I, would, first, I would absolutely have believed you the first indication was i think mclaurin had like three targets in the first quarter um i i could have this stat wrong that could be like the name of our podcast um <laughs> 
I think McLaurin had two catches all season in the first quarter, something like that. Um, through, you know, which, is, which I mean, that's, I know it's just a quarter, but that's through what, eight games, nine games before last, through nine games last night, uh, nine first quarters is the equivalent of two and a quarter games. He had two catches. Yeah. And last night he had three, I think in the first quarter, like six or seven in the first half, I think eight for one thirty-five overall. So the game plan was basically run the ball and then throw it to Terry McLaurin every four or five downs. I mean, and it has become increasingly clear that, yes, he is every bit as good as we thought he was. He does deserve the contract, and you should really be getting him the ball more frequently, um, which they did. So, hey, you know, hey, great job. Up. Just awesome to on McLaurin. Two things from last night that are kind of small asides. One is uh, he went on with Scott Van Pelt after the game on SportsCenter and just an awesome interview. Like not only is SVP, you know, a master of the form, but McLaurin just held himself up so well. You know, he's even asked about like Heineke versus Wentz and his answer was perfect, you know, like not in any sort of uh, jeopardy of being a headline, but also like you could tell that he really felt feelings for Heineke, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just, just really well done. And then the other thing was in the locker room after the game, Rivera was addressing the team. <clears throat> I don't know if it was much of a speech, but he was getting emotional. You know, was, this one meant a lot for his mom who passed and uh, he was kind of overwhelmed and sort of like turned away and walked out of the room. And it was like awkward silence, you know, pregnant pause. And, and McLaurin just steps right up and is like, addresses the whole room. Like clearly that meant a lot and like turning the, turn the page to like getting everybody hype again. You know, he's like, he's just a good dude. Like he's, he's he, a leader, a leader of other dudes. He does seem like all of those things. I heard that on the Scott Van Pelt thing, he shouted out Art Monk and that this somehow goes back to something that Sirianni did with a Mike Quick jersey. Are you, do you, can you summarize okay. this for okay, me? Okay, so I'm so glad you mentioned this because I saw this last night in all the commotion. I don't think he referenced him on SVP, but it was in some other context. And it was a, a, like a response to something Sirianni had done in like week three when they played the first time that I totally missed. But it, it sounds like Sirianni made some remark. I don't know if he was wearing a Mike Quick jersey, but he made some remark that like Mike Quick was better than Art Monk. And you know what? Fuck you, Nick Sirianni. Who the <laughs> fuck are you? to say shit about our monk, especially in, in regard to Mike fucking quick. Who's not even in the hall of fame. Yeah. I, uh, I, 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 when I saw that, I was wondering if you had uh, gone scorched earth on it yet. Um, so I'm glad you had the chance today. Um, I mean, I, I, Nick's what a, what a goof. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Oh, speaking of the posse last night, another, Fun stat: Scary Terry passed Gary Clark for most receptions in four, in their first four years as a Washington football player. Uh, I would not have guessed that Gary Clark had that record. I would have guessed that our monk had the record, but I guess it was Clark, and now it's Scary Terry. Yeah, I mean, apparently so. I don't. I would have thought that somebody would have picked it up um, between Gary Clark and now. That's kind of that's kind of really? damn. And isn't in, it in, in the history of Washington receivers, you, you thought somebody would have broken the record from? From the 80s? I don't know. I'm I not mean, sure. Who would it have they, been? I mean, like Crowder would have had a shot, but. Crowder, so what was the specific record? Did, it, did they have to be rookies in Rookie, Washington? Most receptions. I think most receptions to start a career. 
Oh, okay, yeah. So fair, 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 yeah. fair. Because we never like so, so yeah. Santana Moss could have done it in his first four right, Washington right, years, yeah. but all right, all right, that makes more sense. Okay, um, Gary Clark, JMU, yeah, Dukes. Do you think Ricky Sanders sits around and wonders why nobody talks about him at all? Ricky Sanders should thank his lucky stars that he was in the posse. Otherwise, <laughs> he would have been forgotten. No, I mean, I mean, he would be remembered in the same way as like Timmy Smith, but. Ricky Sanders was like actually had a year or two where he was like a thousand yard guy. Yeah. yeah I don't, I was, it was nice to see Dotson back out there last night. He didn't make much of a, uh, you know, consequence on the game, but, um, you know, it was like the first time him, Samuel and, and McLaurin had been out there since September. Yep. And, and it's the first time with him, Samuel McLaurin and Robinson, right? Because, uh, I don't know if you know, wasn't, isn't the running back's name Robinson? Oh, Brian Shaw. Robinson. Yeah, 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 got it. Yes, yes. Yeah. Sorry. I was thinking receivers. Yeah, got it. Yeah, no, but my point is of, of the offseason alleged upgrades at, at uh, skill positions, um, they were they were all available today except for so, Carson Wentz. So on Dotson, you know, the, the most consequential play that he was involved in was the offensive pass interference, like pick play call, which I don't know. I thought it was bullshit, but I like. I like the Durs, so I don't know. There was like several calls that were questionable last night. The most questionable, I think, was the Goddard fumble missed face mask, which I thought was kind of like, yeah, it was a face mask and they missed it. But did the face mask cost the fumble? I don't think so. I mean, I kind of think it did, or it sort of, it certainly contributed. I think having did, his did, head yeah. yanked around uh, what did not help him hold on to the ball at all. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm looking at that replay and I'm like, I don't know if Davis was touched. That's a touchdown. Give me six. <laughs> I don't, I, I was somebody, I don't know if it was on the broadcast last night or, or on Twitter or where, but somebody was arguing about how, well, we, if you do a replay review and you see that you should be able to call the face mask. And I think that that's just abysmally stupid. I think you just kind of have to accept it. Um, well, I mean, I, like, could we replay review the uh, pass interference call on St. Juice in the first half that was like 40 yards downfield and the whatever line referee at the line of scrimmage called it? Yeah, well, that's and that's the point. And also then could you just sort of, you know, while you're doing the replay review on whatever, go to Skycam and find some random holding penalty somewhere else. You know, like, I, I don't know. Right. It's a, it just seems stupid to me. Um, there was so, a lot of calls. I mean, the Heineke one at the end, which, again, I, I don't think was questionable at all. It was just notable. Um, there was, there the was one, one um, on Samuel out of bounds. They got a 15-yard. Um, I think it was on Samuel. Or, you know, he got called on the Eagles for hitting yeah. Samuel out of bounds. That was borderline. That was one of those where, like, you don't need to call that because it was kind of still in bounds, but also for the defensive player, you don't need to hit him like that. He's well, going out of bounds. I thought they didn't say it. They didn't make it clear in the call, and, and nobody on the broadcast mentioned on the repeats, but I thought the call was because it was clear helmet to helmet. Like the helmet went yeah. directly into the side of the Washington guy's helmet. Um, that was so that's what, what I had assumed it, right? they were calling. No, I mean, they just said, yeah. they just said unnecessary roughness. They didn't specify... Um, I don't think well, they specified that, anything. That was one that, like, coaching Pop Warner football, I've noticed this, like, there are a lot of plays where we would get flagged or the other team would get flagged where, like, you could argue whether it was a penalty or not. But what was inarguable is that the player who was committing the infraction didn't need to do it. You know, like, you, you don't need to, like, unnecessarily rough the shit out of somebody at, on the sideline or, like, as they're sliding or, what or you know, 
if you got an open field block where their head's not turned around, like you don't need to, to level somebody. And if you do, well, you're going to be more likely to get a flag for it. Yeah, that's fair. And it wasn't one where, you know, it was unexpected that it was going out of bounds. Like it was, the play was clearly winding down. So it, right. it's a good point. But I thought in the end, I thought the calls more or less evened out, um, you know, which is easy for us to say because Washington won, but yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure Philly's upset about it, but I mean, I'd be upset too, if I was undefeated looking to go, you know, 12, 13 and zero, looking at the schedule, just accounting this one as a win and uh, you lose on Monday night football. But the, all, all the richer, I don't really care that much about the undefeated part and ruining that for Philly. I care more about the fact that when they, when these two teams played in Washington two months ago, Philly kicked their ass. Like, yeah. It was a complete ass kicking. And I expected yeah. that to happen again. And I expected the whole game for Philly to end up winning. I never felt oh, like too. Washington was going to win that game. I mean, really, no. until the very, very, very end, did I feel any confidence whatsoever? No, I mean, as long as the score, it was it was a five point lead for most of it, right? And then it was point is it was under a touchdown, and if if the lead is under a touchdown, I, I am confident that Washington can find a way to blow it. Uh, that's just, you know, if that makes me negative or cynical or whatever, like it's well earned. We've had years of this happening, so. Uh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely did never thought they were going to win it uh, at any point in the game. Never. Not well, once. I, I mean, at the same time, like watching that whole game, it's not like I felt like Philly had the superior team. I mean, obviously, Washington dominated time of possession. I, I just thought it was weird. Like, I haven't watched the Eagles that much. I know they threw it quite a bit, and, and Hurts had like his best statistical passing game against Washington earlier in the season. I was just thought it weird that they were throwing it so much. I felt like if they just ran, 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 like Washington did, um, they would have dominated on offense. But they they went to the went to the air quite a bit, and it didn't work out. Yeah, I guess if you look at the Washington defense, it looks like the line is massively more talented than everybody else on the field. So I can see wanting to pick on the uh, linebackers and defensive backs. I mean, it makes sense uh, strategically. I just yeah, I, it, we your point that they dominated the time of possession to me is crucial because you say that like Philly didn't look like the absolutely superior team. Like, no, but I felt like they could get the ball and score in two plays. You know, I, I didn't feel like they needed to, whereas Washington right. needed tw- every one of those 12 minutes or whatever the drives were taking um, to score. What, what's your uh, call on Wentz? Is there, do you think, uh, do you think Rivera tries to put Wentz back in? I mean, if he has a death wish, like, why? Why would you put Wentz in? What, what is the what is the case for playing Carson Wentz next week? Uh, the realistic, like rational case, there is not one. However, the case that I keep hearing made is that Ron wants to prove that he's correct, especially once he took ownership of the evaluation when it was allegedly Snyder, and then he came out and he was like, "No, I'm the one who reviewed all the analytics and film and everything, or whatever." Right. Um, that so outburst. Think, yeah. Yeah. I think he, I think the, the only argument is that you, you want to prove yourself correct. And then you come out and you say, Taylor has been a great placeholder, but what's actually happening is that our offense is clicking. And we think that if we put Carson back in, it'll take it up to another level. That's, that's the way you would spin it. Um, I mean, I hope to God he doesn't do it, but it's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, not that Heineke is the hot hand, but he kind of is, you know, they're three and one. They, they beat Philly. Everybody well, loves him. 
he, he, I feel like he has the locker room. He certainly has the fan base. Why wouldn't you just keep going with that until it goes south or he gets hurt? Well, and it, if I remember correctly, the stat during the game last night that they showed was that he was nine and nine as a starter for Washington, which right. means that after last night, he is now 10 and nine, meaning he's over 500. And I can't imagine there's all that. I think Alex Smith was some, frankly, bizarre number of games over 500. Yeah, it was similar. And then, yeah. I, I, then I think everybody else winds up with a losing record. It, it, it's kind of crazy that he is, whatever, 10 and nine in the context of this team over the past, you know, since late 21, I guess, late 21 or late 20 season. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't even, I mean, it speaks to what this team is. I think like if you just have, you know, at completely average quarterback play, if you average out all the highs and lows, completely average quarterback play, Washington is pretty much average up and down the roster. It averages out to, you know, a 500 record. And well, I don't know, that's what you got with Heineke. Here's my question um, about about Heineke. It is because I can't divorce him from the narrative. I can't divorce him from the scrappiness, from everything like that. Um, would do you think if you were like a Carolina Panthers fan? Maybe you even mm-hmm. know this as you're down that way, mm-hmm. and your choices are you know whoever what the. the the random guy who was looking good or, or that other guy who's terrible or Baker Mayfield or whoever, like is Taylor Heineke better or worse than most of those people? Would you rather have him or is he, you know what, where does he rank compared to that kind of quarterback? I mean, I don't think the actual results, this is, this, I don't know. I, this might be a very debatable statement. I don't think the results are all that different than what you would get from, you know, some combination of Baker Mayfield, PJ Walker, Sam Darnold, like yeah, a, that healthy version, right. a healthy version of those dudes under center for this team. I don't think the results are like drastically different. He's just way more fun. He's just like yeah, way more, way easier more to root for. And he's so fun. I like, I legitimately love this dude <laughs> watching him play. I love him. I, I, he throws an awful pick and I'm just like, yep, that's part of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> Ain't he adorable? He threw that pick with Moxie. Yeah. If Baker throws that pick, it's like, get this guy out of here, burn it to the ground. <laughs> you know, I keep saying he's the anti Alex Smith, but in some ways he's also the anti Kirk cousins where Kirk cousins would go out, throw for like 400 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. I would be like, get him out of town. This guy's yeah. terrible. What is he yeah. doing here? Taylor Heidi, he goes out, throws for 220, no touchdowns, one pick. And everybody's like, do you see him get hit? Do you see him take a knee? Look at that guy. Moxie. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, it's, I, I don't know. The, the likability goes a long way. Cause I mean, it's not like this team's going anywhere. Well, you know, that's for sure. like they might be <laughs> going to like a, you know, bottom rung wild card spot. And that would be well, great. I I'd, be, see... I'd be so excited. That would be really fun. But it's even more fun with Heineke doing it than Carson Wentz or whoever the fuck. Yeah, well, I know I saw the graphic. I just don't know if it was real or if it was photoshopped. It, if the season ended today, would all four NFC East teams be in the playoffs? So I saw somebody saying that on Twitter, but I don't get it because right now the 49ers have the last wild card spot at. I think at five and four or what have you like they've got, they haven't had their buy yet or they have, have had their buy. Um, so I, I think Washington right now is eighth in the NFC. I can check that while we're talking, but yeah, I mean, the other three teams are obviously in, and I think Washington is the like 
last the, the first one out. Right. Well, I mean, there's there's no doubt that if they're in, they are they are just barely in by the skin of their teeth. There's that that goes without saying. Um, I don't know, man. It's uh, it was if nothing else, it was a really fun night of football watching. My kids watched and actually enjoyed it for a little bit, which, as you know, is not what usually happens. Mm-hmm. Um, th- then they asked me, they're like, well, summarize for us what happened after we went to bed. I'm like. I I can't. It's uh, it was really kind of confusing and weird, but they won. They won at the end. Um, and and so. just to confirm, Washington is on the bubble at five and five. They're the eight in the eight spot. San Francisco is seventh at five and four. Uh, but Washington okay. has Houston uh, this week, so that's that's for something. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that uh, nobody ever nobody ever lost a game that they thought that they were a lock to win. <laughs> Uh, but they have Houston and they have somebody else. They have two in a row that look at least, you know, feasible. It's it's not they're not playing the Bills. Um, yeah. Well, let's look at let's look at the the commanders schedule real quick, because I, they're five and five. I, you know, you could kind of analyze this, but I feel like if you get to nine, if you can get if they can go four and three the rest of the way. I like their chances of getting in. I don't think they're you put it. Seven teams that uh, win ten games or more in the NFC. Well, um, put it that way, it doesn't feel quite as likely, does it? Well, here we go. At Houston, home okay. against Atlanta. Then they go at New York by week, home against New York. So let's just stop there. That's the first. That's the next four games. I mean, of course, watch out for zero and four. But you feel pretty good about two and two, three and one in that stretch. Houston, Atlanta, New York twice. I, I think you well, got to get over like 2.5 wins back. there. Well, now we're back to one of my sort of other go-to talking points of this season, which is that individual games may be totally unpredictable. But yes, over the next four games, they will probably go two and two because that's what they do. That's the kind of team yeah. they are. Well, so, um, so yeah, pro- so, I guess I find a bet I would go two and two on that stretch, but you're hoping for three and one. And then they close out with at San Francisco. Don't like that. Home against Cleveland, maybe the Deshaun Watson Browns. Not sure. And then final game of the season, home against Dallas. Yeah. So, so that the, the game that looms the largest in there to me is that head to head against San Cisco. I mean, if if they going to be that could be for the last wild card, or at least for you know um, tiebreaker on the last wild card. Well, there's uh, a lot of head-to-head action in there. I mean, the last five games are basically against the wild card teams that we'll be competing with. Four of the like, you've got the two against New York, and then San Francisco and Dallas. So four of those five games, like, are against the three teams that are currently the wild card holders. That's a good point. Um, yeah. Hmm. So well, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like in my head, in my head, like Washington's like way far back from New York and Dallas, but actually they're like two games back with a lot to play, and they play each other. So I don't know. It could, I, I'm just like border shocked that it's like even a conversation that we're having <laughs> about the playoff picture at the end of the season. 
yeah although yet again i mean this is it we're in november they're 500 it's it's your dream come true they'll be meaningful yeah. washington football on thanksgiving that's what your goal is every season um and well know, i mean it's, it's, if, they, if they can win at houston it's going to be a happy turkey day we're going to be over 500 possibly like you know in in the playoff picture certainly on the bubble while i'm carving the turkey that that's it that's the dream um i agree i mean it's it's weird that that's the dream i'm i'm, I'm trying to think if we should be dreaming bigger um but, not this year pal <laughs> uh, yeah fair point well well that's the thing also like whatever last point for me i don't know if you have more points is uh it's not a debate about Heineke wins. I don't want to have that debate. Um, the one I want to have, and I know where I stand on it, is like the the future of the franchise at the quarterback position. And I still stay firmly rooted in Heineke is not the answer to that question. You know, so no. hopefully nobody gets too diluted on that point. I do wonder if that's sort of what I'm asking about the Panthers thing is that so his contract is up after the season, I believe. And I would love to keep him as a backup until he's like weirdly old and decrepit and just kind of, you know, breaking down on the sidelines. Um, uh, but I wonder if somebody would give him a starting shot out there in the league. I just, I, I, I can't tell. I have no idea. Oh my um, God. Yeah. That would be, that would be truly awful. He should, he should just be a, like a life lifetime Washington football player. I believe he's on a two-year deal. Uh, he has a two-year, $4.7 million contract uh, that was signed this earlier this offseason in 22. So he, I, think he's un, I think he's a free agent after 23, but I could okay, be wrong. So I was a year off. All right. I don't, no, you, I don't know. You might be right. I don't know how to read this. I don't know how to read the internet. Um. Yeah, I think he's on a two-year deal right now. Um, the other thing that was funny was uh, like the 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 Wince trade clause. If he gets seventy percent of the snaps, the the draft pick that we're sending to Annapolis is, goes from a third rounder to a second rounder. So it's just that much more incentive to keep him off the field. Well, to me, that's that's the that above everything else is the biggest incentive to keep Wince off the field. Like it's. It's bad enough giving a third, another third round pick for wins, but I understand that was the cost of doing business. But allowing that to turn into a second round pick for whatever perceived difference there is between wins yeah. and uh, whatever the kid's name is, yeah. uh, Heineke, that's insane. I mean, that's just that's just bad business. Yeah, uh, but I mean, you're so close. Like, just keep them on the shelf for another couple of weeks, and like, you're guaranteed not to get to the seventy percent threshold. Just, just chill out. <laughs> there's, there's no debate here. Um, anything else? Nothing else for me. I don't think we need to do the uh, pop culture stuff today unless you've seen or, or listened to something that just really blew your mind. I'm, I'm watching White Lotus with my wife, and the White Lotus is um, such an easy, enjoyable couples watch. Like, it's cringy, but it's just like there are very few shows that thread the needle between what she likes and what I like, and the White Lotus does that masterfully. I'm doing the opposite. My wife was out of town. I watched uh, The Peripheral, the William Gibson adaptation over on Amazon Prime. 
that's by some of the Westworld creators, and you've probably seen the commercials for it with the weird robots. Um, uh, and it is absolutely fine and exactly the sort of thing that is not good enough for my wife to enjoy it, but not bad enough for me to turn it off. So that's that's been my laundry folder for the last absolutely weeks. fine, <laughs> absolutely fine, natural, absolutely fine. Oh, and um, a quick heads up for like the one over under on this is like maybe 0.5 people that care. Uh, the Neil Young album harvest is having a 50th anniversary and there's a theatrical release happening like the week after thanksgiving here in wilmington it's showing exactly twice uh the evening of december 1st and the evening of december 4th to get documentary about the making of harvest which is an all-time great album and it's like neil young and the stray gators in 1971 doing whatever the fuck they were doing and I already bought my tickets for me and three of my buddies. We are going back to 1971 and we are going to hang with Neil. And I, I could not be looking more forward to this evening. Um, so anybody likes Neil Young out there, check it out. That actually sounds interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Harvest is one of those genuinely untouchable albums. It's not in my usual genre, but even I enjoy it. Um, that's pretty good. Uh, did you, are you still doing the Marvel movies? Did you guys go see Black Panther? No, <laughs> I'm like the worst Marvel watcher uh my son and i made it like halfway through the universe um all, like my kids are like two kids in middle school now and like all of their friends went and saw black panther this weekend but neither one of them even saw the first one <laughs> so none of us have wa- have watched it we've all been like huh we should yeah. probably check that out yeah maybe i don't know i was uh it was it was fine there were parts that were good it was two hours and 40 minutes and you felt every single one of those um so there was that yeah right. okay well you think you just convinced me to not push what kind of forever on them yeah i i wouldn't i certainly wouldn't go to it without having seen everything else because it, it is above everything else it is sort of a uh memorial to and celebration of chadwick boseman um mm-hmm. and uh, if you don't have the sort of and, and of him in the Marvel Universe specifically. So if you don't have the deep like, you know, five movies or whatever worth of affection for that, it's going to seem like even more than two hours and 40 minutes. It's going to be rough. You know, one thing I noticed is that the first Black Panther movie, the soundtrack was really notable. It was like one of the more kind of like attention grabbing soundtracks and, and one that I gravitated to as well. This time around, Kendrick Lamar, I think, was like not only on it, but like kind of arranged everything. Yeah. I haven't heard a peep about the soundtrack this time around. There, I've heard people peep about it, but I haven't actually, it hasn't jumped off uh, as something that I even like, you know, give a listen to just to see how I feel. I, it, the, the closing track is a new Rihanna track, which was like touted as being this like really big deal. Like, I guess she hasn't put anything out in a while. And I mean, the Rihanna songs that I've liked tend to be like, you know, big poppy, you know, I guess EDM, like, you know, catchy tunes. Uh, And this was like just this sort of torch song ballad kind of thing. And I was like, who wants this from Rihanna? Like, I guess I don't know. Maybe everybody does. But to me, it it sort of tied in with the movie where it's like, here is something that is uh, totally dour instead of um, upbeat and (laughs) joyful. (laughs) Yay. Uh, I, I look forward to this dragging the Super Bowl halftime show down <laughs> just a bit. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be the absolute low point of the half. It'll probably be what she opens with, and then she'll probably do the quick costume change into, you know, 
whatever we found love in a hopeless place who knows um i yeah that's about it for me oh i one thing i always want to ask you about and i never remember is just podcast wise do you ever listen to the ringer fantasy football show almost exactly once a year like during draft season they'll put out a series of episodes that like ranking the wide receivers and then another one be like ranking the running backs and i'll typically listen to those like prepping for the draft i love that show so much and it's not for the fantasy football stuff i just think they have as good of chemistry as almost any podcast out there uh, in sort of a way that at least sounds effortless and it makes um it makes things i don't know it's 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 just a really pleasant listen during the football season that is exactly entertaining and interesting enough to hold my attention and completely forgettable at the same time i just i like it way more than it probably deserves it's like four guys named danny right it used to be now it's two guys named danny and a craig um, which is like it's like a Danny, but guy. Craig's real name is Danny. Well, yes, I mean Daniel Craig. It's it's implicit. It automatically jumps to your mind uh, just because of the actor. Uh, yeah, um, fantasy like fantasy. I consume a lot of content around fantasy before the drafts in general, and then in season, I consume almost nothing at all. I just basically look at like the news, you know, or like the stats. I, I, I'm not sure why that is. No, I agree with that. Like, I don't. I certainly. You know, before the drafts, I'll listen to other stuff, you know, whatever the no longer Matthew Berry show is and stuff like that, um, because you're actually trying to strategize or whatever you want to call it. But th- that's the thing with this is it holds my attention, even though I don't a- actually believe they have any insight into uh, what I should do with my waiver wire tonight or anything like that. Well, I guess that's the key. Like the like the lens is very wide in the preseason because like any player could be on your team. Like it's all in play. And then once the season happens, like the top 90% of players are all rostered and like you you only care about 10% of them, you know, or whatever portion is on your team. So all of the focus is on fucking waiver wire minutia. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be that into fantasy. Yeah, me neither, unless it helps me win, in which case I would totally be that into fantasy, but I'm not convinced that it does. All right, man. Okay, buddy. Good talking to you. Let's go, Durs. Left hand up. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.